Okay, so I want to start off by giving you a little bit of a snapshot as to where we were in our lives when we were recording these podcast episodes. So it was the start of the year. We were recording as much as we can before we got married at the start of March. Um, So it will be a Sunday. We might record one or two episodes a day. And we were exhausted because we were planning a wedding. There was uh, COVID restrictions coming out. We didn't even know if it was going to be able to go ahead. Everything was so intense. And so if you can see or sense that Todd is a bit tired in this episode, there's one point he just zones out and there's just me doing a bulk of the talking at the end. It's because at this time in our lives when we were recording these episodes, it was just a really crazy time um, because we wanted to get them all done before we went away on our honeymoon so we could come back and have um, like a really nice schedule of one a week with no interruptions. So um, I really have to thank Todd for being such a dedicated co-host despite his tiredness, um, especially on his weekends. So yeah, we have to cut him some slack this episode. But with that in mind, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to How to Conserve Conservationist, the podcast. I'm your host, Jesse. I'm your co-host, Todd. Yeah, and we're here together. Um, about to bring you another episode of season two, all about you. And this episode is episode seven, and it's all about battling stereotypes, which I don't think we've talked about much at all in the last podcast or the book. Maybe it may have come up a little bit, but I think this is something that it hasn't been much of a problem. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's, it's a background problem for most people. Yeah, something like you just deal with without it impacting your life too much. But these two blogs that I've pulled today by Maria and Nyla, uh, they kind of show how stereotypes can impact your feelings of yourself in the industry, but also they have a lot deeper impacts as well for the, I guess, the environment and the social culture of the way the world works. So uh, I have two very different examples today. Um, The first one is by Maria, and she talks about the stereotype of being a visco girl. (laughs) So um, she explains what a visco girl is in the paragraph. What is a visco girl? I'll read to you what she says. Maria says, I was at a dinner party the other night and I was asked in a group Oh, okay. I, can I just... Okay, Todd's going to read this paragraph. This is said this is so a cons- many words differently, but it still made sense. <laughs> this is... Yes, he... Oh, and I also have to point out that when Todd read his last paragraph, he did the exact same thing as well. He also said words that didn't exist. <laughs> at a dinner party the other day, I was asked in front of a group what I was good at. That just triggers horror to me. <laughs> hey. Oh. What are you good what at? Are you good at That's though? just not how I think about myself. That's <laughs> I, not my method of operating. Todd does not like self-meta analysis in the slightest. <laughs> he does everything to avoid it. I will happily talk for hours about what I'm bad at, I know. but not what I'm good at. He was at a training once, and somebody asked him a question about himself, and he just made up a lie to just get it over and done with, which I think is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, at a dinner party the other day, I was asked in front of a group what I was good at. After a while, I said, well, I'm good at knowing a lot about sea turtles. People seemed interested and began asking me about... No, I said a word wrong. It's fine. People seemed interested and began asking me about 
ask me how many species there are. Have I ever seen one? What's my favorite thing about sea turtles? And then someone asked, well, are you one of those visco turtle girls? I said, uh, what? <laughs> exactly like that. Maria I, sounds yeah, identical to that I've one. I've quoted her verbatim there. <laughs> Keep going. A visco turtle girl is, for those like me who had no clue, a girl who edits her photos on the popular editing app Visco, buys scrunchies and metal straws, maybe dons a save the turtle shirt, and racks up thousands of followers and likes on Instagram. The question was mainly, I think, uh, read, I hope, asked in jest, but for someone who spends at least an hour on carefully researched Instagram posts that on a good day hit 50 likes, it gave me a lot to think about. This is a really interesting blog, and I have thought about this blog a lot since I read it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been one of these ones that have stuck with me, and i just never forgotten it, because... I feel like when somebody cheapens something that you put so much blood, sweat and tears and passion and energy into, it is just a horrible feeling <laughs> because like Maria cares so much about sea turtles and she obviously does a lot of research and a lot of, she takes a lot of time and care into her conservation efforts to conserve sea turtles. And people are comparing that to somebody who wears a scrunchie and has like summer filters on their Instagram photos. Well, I thought this was going to be about stereotypes and maybe these Visco girls do actually passionately care about sea turtles and just because they're on Instagram doesn't mean that they're airheads about it. Well, I think Maria's argument is, firstly, if something is a trend, it is not sustainable. So for conservation, having veganism as a trend or metal straws as a trend, it means it's not this conscious long-term effort towards the conservation of something so yeah she was talking about like this yeah a, a fashionable uh superficial trendiness of being green yeah but if tr like trends come and go whereas with conservation you need something to stick around so that i guess that is a bit frustrating but also it promotes the need for consumerism to tie in with conservation so basically maria argues you could have like 50 save the turtle shirts is that going to be more beneficial for turtles than just wearing thrifted clothing? Like, why do we have to feel this guilt and pressure to stay at eco-resorts and buy lots of things and spend lots of money to have a conservation impact? Almost as if you have to show it off for it to mean something. Mm. Whereas if Maria wears thrifted clothes, doesn't consume a lot, she stays at local beaches where there's not a lot of built-up areas and not a lot of commercial tourism, arguably that would be better, or it might be like something that's equally as good, but it's seen as you still feel that pressure to kind of perform. Yeah, not everything that helps conservation is going to be as glitzy and glamoury as to be popular on Instagram, yeah. I guess, is what you're saying. <laughs> Basically, like... You shouldn't have to buy 1,500 scrunchies to be seen as being like environmental, but also how detrimental to the environment is having so many scrunchies. You could just have one or like maybe a couple. Yeah. I think she does talk into like consumerism a lot, which is something I could talk about for hours. Mm -hmm. I guess like, like it's the, the type of thing that annoys you is when you see 
Apple especially is a peak example of this because in their marketing materials they act like they're very green. Mm-hmm. They they'll give you this you know this feeling of it, but then they'll do something like oh the newest iPhone, it doesn't come with a charger because you know we want to save waste. Everyone already has a charger. We'll just be you know just go into landfill otherwise. Mm-hmm. Handily, we'll also happily sell you a charger yeah. with its own packaging that would have been more uh, for like fifty dollars or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's so it's so obvious that it's they're doing it for money yeah. reasons. It's not to save the environment. They're trying to save a buck. They're charging you more for the phone for less. Yeah, and what's crazy is so I this may come as a surprise to a lot of you, but I. Mm watch a lot of fashion YouTube videos (laughs) and it started off because I have a weird body type and I wanted to try and find clothes that I would fit into but then the same people who were had like my kind of body type and were looking at clothes that fit them they're also big into sustainability so they do a lot of thrifting and buy from a lot of sustainable um out what is it called sustainable shops but it like almost every single sustainable ethical shop has a scandal with it associated with uh race or with like exploiting workers or so like just because they're using sustainable recycled fabrics doesn't mean that they're like ethical to people so there's yeah. been a lot of scandals so it means that like you don't ultimately you don't want to support brands that uh, exploit their workers or hate trans people or whatever so you can't <laughs> support these sus- sustainable brands but then also thrifting is a huge problem now because there's a lot of people who go out and buy like thrifted clothing uh to resell or to buy thrifted clothing when they can afford other clothing and that could take clothes away from people who actually need to buy thrifted clothing because they can't afford to get other clothes or also like people like smaller people are buying big oversized clothes and that's taking away thrifting options for larger people so there's a whole demographic of people that can't thrift anymore because of the way it's become trendy and then some people like asos or you might see like those fast fashion brands they might say they have a recycled or sustainable line and they will claim that with only one percent of the fabric in the garment as being recycled so it's not it's just all greenwashing it's a bit of a technicality at that stage (laughs) so are you saying there is no ethical consumerism under capitalism (laughs) (laughs) it is it is tricky because yeah if you want to say okay i help the environment and you might be like all right i'll buy food that hasn't got palm oil in it Mm -hmm. that might be you know reasonable action to take as a consumer feeling powered right but then it's like oh but hang on this thing hasn't got palm oil in it but like you said it maybe exploits workers Covered in plastic. And, yeah, maybe it has heaps of plastic uh, packaging. Like, oh, well, plastic packaging is bad as well. And then we get this other thing that has, you know, paper in it. It's like, oh, no, but this is... It's full of sugar. Full of sugar, and I now need to consider my own personal diet. (laughs) Yeah. Or, like, yeah. It's so challenging, and, like, this is why you you can't care about everything, because often if you care about environmental sustainability, you have to stop caring about people's rights and then if you uh like if you care about plastic you might have to stop caring about the health of the food or something like there's always some compromise you have to be making so basically maria was saying instead of buying things it would be much better instead of buying a metal straw and save the whales shirt it would be much more uh, effective if you contributed to beach cleans or if you actually went out and went to climate protests or if you changed your habits if you were like just um 
if you were reducing your plastic or you started to recycle more effectively, like all those things would be way better than buying 50 Save the Turtles bracelets. Yeah, I think there's. It it feels weird to like make a hierarchy of how good is your impact conservation. But like like, there is a whole range of different things you can do. Behavior probably trumps consumerism in terms of impact. There's also the thing about disabilities as well. We can't hide from the fact that a lot of disabled people have to use plastic straws, and I would argue that like the health industry is exempt from environmentalism because just plastic has this fundamental use for in the disabled world and for like hospitals and health it just i wasn't even considering that but sure yeah but i'm just saying i'm i understand that not always is a middle straw going to change the world like one person's action but i just feel like sometimes people well i guess part of what maria might be trying to say is that you might be so keen to outwardly present yourself as an environmentalist that you may be harming the environment with the amount of things you do to show your yeah how environmental you are like if i have all if i buy all this extra stuff to prove a point about myself it's actually going against the values of being an environmentalist yeah i'm very sympathetic to her being like you know compared to superficial instagram people mm-hmm. and she's like no i actually care about the turtles yeah like this is more than just a post that will go viral for me this yeah. is you know I'm a big passion of mine people. yeah and it's true maria yeah. does put in a lot of effort into her posts like if you go to maria's uh instagram which i'll link below you will see so many well thought out but there's never a post that she does that's not extremely well thought out i <laughs> do not have the time or the patience to have such in-depth posts that she does. Like, I think I go for a bit more quantity over quality because I want to showcase all the amazing people. Mm. But Maria and a lot of other people in Lonely Conservation have spent so much time, like, handcrafting their posts to have exactly the message they want to say. But then it will, yeah, just get 50 likes or something. And so they're not doing it to become Insta-famous. They're doing it because they hope that there are 50 people who like it actually have sat there and read it and have sunk in whatever they're trying to say yeah yeah i've seen it a lot with like people do like 10 minute youtube videos Mm -hmm. as if they're like educational little tidbits yeah but really like it's very superficial uh you know skim reading of wikipedia article is all they say about it but like they get millions of views Uh because they'll have a clickbaity article about something that's mildly interesting (laughs) And, like, someone who actually studies in that field would probably look at that and get super annoyed. Like, oh, they misrepresented this. Oh, they don't know anything about it. Now all these people are just going to be like, oh, that's all there is to know about it. Yeah. Do you know snot is a key ingredient of lollipops? What? (laughs) And then you click and you're like, what the hell? I'm eating snot. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, oh, rumor has it that this Instagram post made this claim, but it turned out not to be true. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it is so frustrating when you have spent so much time and effort into something only to be palmed off as someone that's donning a scrunchie and a hydro flask. So I thought that was a really important um, blog to mention in this season because there's probably a lot of people who like, what if you were like a, a cat veterinarian and then people were just like, oh, you're a crazy cat lady. Like there must be a lot of these superficial stereotypes that really undermine the quality of the work and the hard 
like the blood, sweat and tears that people put into actually achieving goals for conservation. I think there is a lot of them for conservationists. Mm-hmm. Like people, you, it depends how you portray yourself, but people might just as, oh, there's some weird hippie. Yeah, greenie. There's some greenie. They have all these stereotypes related to that. Tea sipping lattes. If you say, I just really love animals, they assume you have 10 cats. Yeah. Oh my God. This is one I get a lot. So back when I used to work at Subway, when people read my palm oil article, they started coming up to me and started telling me about all the animals at the zoo and all the names that they had. And I couldn't bring myself to tell them that I couldn't care less about each individual animal in an enclosure in the zoo. Yeah. I cared about like ecological large scale habitat conservation. And I don't know the name of the giraffe and I don't know about the giraffe's newborn son. And I don't yeah. know any of this. And like, I don't have any interest to know because it's like, I don't care about it. <laughs> so I think people, conservation is so broad, but people make a lot of, uh like maybe unsubstantiated assumptions about you from like one piece of information that they know yeah yeah so the next blog is going to be hugely different from this one so a whole other stereotype which is more of a cultural stereotype and um the next blog author is a good friend of mine nyla nyla and i actually run the shikandi um women empowerment fellowship together in north sumatra uh well we run it together i we produced it and fundraised for it together. And then because of COVID, Nyla runs it herself in North Sumatra, which is better because it's actually like run by local people for local people. Um, so if you would like to help Nyla and I provide a supportive community for women in North Sumatra, you can donate to the Patreon, which I will link in the show notes below. But after hearing some, a bit, uh, some of Nyla's blog, you may understand why we have created this initiative to help provide a supportive environment for women in North Sumatra. It's something we're very passionate about, and I hope this blog kind of showcases why it's so important. Yeah, she's had a rough time of it. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I'm going to read a lot of Nyla's blogs from her words because I feel like it would be easy to be misconstrued if I try to summarize it or say it in my words, because I think a lot of the things she talks about are really, they really hit hard. And I don't want to cheapen what she's saying in a stereotype podcast, because that would just be not what we're after. (laughs) (laughs) Deeply ironic. Okay, so Nyla says, oh, actually, I should state. So Nyla is a conservationist in North Sumatra, but she started off as a teacher and her family runs an oil palm plantation. So I think she has kind of Todd's imposter syndrome where she doesn't kind of think she's totally a conservationist because she has always been idolizing the conservation icons of North Sumatra, but she has always kind of just been doing what she can for conservation. So coming back to like the last episode where there's a bit of that imposter syndrome about not being a purist conservationist. So she mainly started off as a teacher then she did work in a conservation NGO, but she's back to teaching again now. Is she like, is she like English at university? Yeah, so she's really, really fluent in English and like her skills. She speaks are better amazing. English than the, both of us. Yeah, especially you can tell every time we try and read something in our own native language, yeah. we just can't. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> working from the ground, I rarely see other women in conservation. I meet men who can't, oh, I meet men constantly and realized it was such a masculine world. Some of them gave me pressure, bullying, and even sexual harassment. 
I didn't realize it was one of the, I didn't realize this until one of the students who visited us and joined my work told me. I was seeing that as a test, considered it was that, it was those men's way of seeing whether I was strong enough to handle them. They told me I'm ugly because I'm tan, fat and unfeminine and all of that. But at the same time, they said they would sleep with me. If you've been to Indonesia, you would be shocked as Indonesia is such a conservative country. But then people blame the way I dress since I'm Muslim but don't wear a hijab. I don't care about these comments, but I realized it was slowly eating me up. So I have been there. <laughs> like even as a white woman, I would have like I turn on the TV and Pirates of the Caribbean is basically basically totally blurred. Like the cleavage is blurred, the alcohol is blurred, anything sexual is blurred. Like you turn on the TV and they blur the things out that are inappropriate for Indonesians to see. But then I get into the field and they're like, oh, Jesse, you're white. Tell me about sex. Nobody tells us about, like, tell us about, <laughs> like, we need to learn from somebody. You, yeah, you had, you were going through, like, there was a bit of a stereotype of they only see these, you know, sexy cleavage having women in, like, Western movies. Yeah. So they associate maybe white women with being a lot well, more free they know which is probably not too far from the truth yeah they know that we don't have such strict uh, like religious codes or moral cultural codes over how we dress and and what we do with our bodies so when i was alone with the men a lot of the time the first thing they would ask me is trying to find out as much information about sex as they could like <laughs> I don't want to name names, but somebody I know got married and he's like, oh, Jesse, like, how do I please my wife? Like, they never taught any of that stuff. So they weren't being, they weren't trying to be sleazebags, do you? No, they're so just it, being genuinely It was curious. honest, legitimate inquiry. So the dichotomy of being so conserved in Indonesian, having to cover up and you're not allowed to do anything and everything's restricted and everything's blurred in movies. You can't even look at people's cleavage just in everyday life that dichotomy mixed with like you're you're tan you're ugly or whatever but i would still sleep with you so you're like <laughs> they're sexualizing you but also you're wrong you like you're too masculine you're wearing pants you're out in the field you're not married you're not good enough but also i would still sleep with you in a heartbeat like that dichotomy is challenging to understand i but think that's just some classic misogyny misogyny <laughs> yeah you can never win as a woman but especially there like one time i was so angry i was sitting in the office and i just wrote a whole list of things that i was like that i felt were hypocritical and i was like feeling uh like victimized against. <laughs> but it's just is is really challenging and nyla talks a lot and she's not shy about talking a lot about how being different and standing up for herself and doing what she wants to do has caused her a bit of trouble in kind of bucking those social norms of what's expected as a woman. Mm. So in Indonesia, you're expected to marry really young, but because Nyla does buck all of these trends of being like a feminine, uh, effeminate hijab wearing woman who like, it's crazy when you go there, everyone's wearing like these sparkly hijabs and like beautiful dresses and they're all covered up but it's so glitz and glam nyla's out in the field just getting muddy and planting trees so that's not the epitome of what a good wife should look like so nyla is getting older and older every day and she's getting less and less married <laughs> like nobody <laughs> is interested in taking her hand and making a wife out of her because she doesn't embody the stereotype 
that a perfect Indonesian woman should be. I feel like there must be some guys out there for it. But, but they would be hard to find. Culturally, I think if any man takes Nyla's hand, he would get judged in the community for being with her. Like, it's that add-on cultural pressure. Like, Nyla's impacted, but anyone who wants to be with Nyla is also impacted because of her stereotypes and her stigmas. Mm. So that's a challenge. I feel like in Madonna in the city, they're probably... You could get away with it maybe easier. I don't know. I don't know. Todd had a very cushy time in Indonesia. Everyone was very nice to me, <laughs> being a man. Yeah, even like I'm a white woman, but I still experienced a lot of what Nyla was talking about. And I was happy because I could leave back to Australia, but she has to stay there and this is her life. <laughs> <laughs> um, she also says, I was hoping that conservation would be a safe haven for anybody since it needs everybody on board, that I could get a mentor to learn and grow more. I was surprised that it was far from that. In fact, it is about ego, stereotypes, and stigma. Like everywhere else, we are expected to follow the egocentric stream and compensate our values. And I cannot resonate harder with this <laughs> because everywhere I go, people are like, Jesse, I'm on board. Let's conserve conservationists. Let's yeah. help you out. And then when it actually, when push comes to shove, we're going to exploit your conservationists. Oh, we're going to um, sexually harass you in the field. But it's easier to make you train more and get accustomed to that you might be expected to sexual harassment rather than actually talking to the guys and telling them maybe you shouldn't call women bitches in the field. <laughs> like, it, it does go to the crux of like, the conservationists oh. and like, the, the struggles that... They go through. It's so frustrating because time and time again, I see the, this is back going to back to what Maria was saying, the outward facing, I am this, I'm doing this, rather than living the actual values of being a conservationist or an environmentalist. It's like both of these blogs have an issue with people saying they do something, presenting the, themselves as someone that does something, but you're not actually doing anything for conservation. Like, <laughs> Don't tell me you believe in lonely conservationists. Don't tell me you want to give them more value, more rights. And then, like, when it comes to how you plan to do that, your plans involve exploiting them and it involves letting me be, like, harassed in the field. Like, I'm just so frustrated. (laughs) And so these stereotypes are so challenging because you feel like you've poured so much of yourself into living the conservation life you want and Nyla says about thinking it's a safe place because conservation needs everyone on board but then it's all about ego and it's all about who can get the most media attention who can raise the most money and like especially in Indonesia if there's so many orangutan organizations why aren't you all working together (laughs) Like, why is there this competition? You said the thing that can't be said. Yeah, like, even, like, in elephant organizations, in slots, in whatever, like, if you have a population of something in one location, why is there multiple foundations, organizations fighting for resources and funds when you could share data, share funding, share resources, share media attention, and actually save, like... How many species are not saved because of human social politics? Many. (laughs) Very passionate about. (laughs) Just because you are very intimately familiar with With all these issues. Yeah, I really... These exact issues. 
I feel like I would defend Nyla to my death. Like the things <laughs> that she has had to go through, I just I want the endless string of volunteer unpaid work. No, never been respected. Like as... just the respect of like she worked so hard to get into like a job and get like a conservation job. And then she realized that it's not really about the conservation and all the people she idolized, all the like hard work she'd done. It wasn't for the goal and the result that she thought it would be. And it's not like as open as she thought. Like it isn't, she thought, oh, the world needs so much conservation efforts. Everyone needs to get on board. No, there's still like hierarchies and there's still, I'm better than you and like you're shit because you're tan and fat and I'm better because I am like, I'm lighter and I'm skinnier. Like it's. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you're out in the field trying to study orangutans, why does the conversation of how you look ever come up? Yeah, and so that's what, just so inappropriate. Why are people caring about your marital status when you're just trying to see uh, orangutans see another day? And people are like, but why aren't you married yet? And it's like, well, that's not really the issue here, Karen. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> you just want to send me away from with a man so you can keep exploiting the orangutan like this is just a, a ruse you <laughs> you whisk me away with some man and then i won't notice all the bad stuff that's happening in the environment <laughs> so nyla goes on to say as the political streams in Indonesia and now on the religious trend, that's how people present themselves. I am far from that. I am not religious. In fact, I'm a rebel who refuses to wear hijab. The society puts high pressure on me by labeling me as a whore, but I refuse to get give in. Oh, Nyla, we can see your hair. Very promiscuous. <laughs> yeah. Like, imagine being a, called a whore because you're just going out in the field and you don't want to get too hot with having a hijab on your face. Well, I saw in the paper just yesterday, Indonesia made a nationwide law against uh, forcing school kids to wear religious clothes. Mm, because I see them wearing them younger and younger. So they don't actually have to wear them uh, according to the religion until they hit puberty. And that's well, everyone interprets it differently. Yeah, isn't it? well, that's what I understand it to be. So, like, you become a woman, you start menstruating, you have to cover yourself up, cover the shame. <laughs> that's but, what it feels like to us yeah now when people are younger and younger i see them wearing hijabs and even i saw a tiktok the other day and it's like do my children have to wear hijabs no not by the religion but are they doing it anyway because they care about they want to start impressing allah from a young age yes but i kind of feel like um that's it means you're projecting a religion onto them before they're old enough to make their own choices so i guess from a western perspective it seems a bit like they don't have a say in it yet like they're in australia you're an adult when you're 18 and that's when you can start drinking and and making decisions and voting for yourself that's when we would be expected to start making our own decisions not at six years old Okay, so I'm going to pop in here and I'm going to say that clearly I understand that a lot of religions from all over the world, Christians, Catholics, kids go to church, go to mosque, go to temple, um, participate in religion from a very young age. It's not like religion is something that people just get to choose when they're an adult. And that's so unreasonable to think that 
everybody gets the freedom to um, live agnostically until they're an adult and can make those decisions. But that's just not how it is. Like, I was even baptized as a kid into the Catholic religion. Am I Catholic now? No. But as a kid, that was something that was just um, given to me without having a choice. I was too young to decide. So I just wanted to put in here that I totally acknowledge the fact that religion is something that people grow up with and they don't usually get much of a choice as to how they participate in the religion. No matter if you're Muslim or Jewish or Christian or Catholic, um, it's, a lot of, it's a big part of a lot of people's childhoods. So I didn't want to discredit that that was the norm for a lot of people. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, but like my understanding is most six-year-olds if everyone else wears a hijab mm-hmm. and that's seen as like the thing to do like you'd want to wear one as well yeah of course like of course. that's what people do but it's good now that they, they, but, like, letting, they don't have to yeah letting yeah. people have the option to wear what they want is just always the correct answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah there's, there's definitely like some western countries that you know big xenophobic and they're like oh we banned the hijab yeah which is like going the other way yeah a bit stupid just let women wear what they want and don't hassle them about what they're wearing. Okay. Is that too much? That's men? Am I speaking to the choir here? Listen to this. <laughs> what is this crazy concept? I know, this is what we're wondering. <laughs> okay, she says, I actively state campaigns about equality, being single, and I keep fighting for what I believe. As a result, the Conservation Society puts me in a stigma that they will never accept, and I'm followed by a stereotype so that it will never change. It's either you follow the rules or be an outcast. I never thought of conservation to be very political as well. Again, I thought it was a safe world that takes everyone on board without seeing labels. I don't have a person to talk to. I'm an alien in this world. I've sacrificed my career, uh, like her settled career, like teaching, and I choose this. Am I? Is it worth it? This has started to eat me up and it drains out my emotions. No, poor Nyla. It reminds me of a YouTube video, which is a bad thing to quote, I guess. But this YouTuber was thinking about what job should I get? Mm -hmm. And he was considering a job in conservation just to see if, you know, all of those save the planet hippie types, are they just as like bickering and political and like hate each other and have fights as everyone else? Or are they like higher beings who've gone beyond all that and inevitably inevitably they are just normal people who have the same issues as everyone else it's just so unfortunate though if you have this perception that uh conservationists are above it all and you think you're getting into this oasis of sharing and caring and then it hits you that they were more political than everyone else and i don't know if it's because like there's more like social politics this is what we mean there's like more at stake and there's more on the line and there's less resources so there's like a lot more pressure forcing people's hands it is a bit more push comes to shove. Yeah. Yeah. Than like your local knitting group. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to pitch now. There's no, probably wonder... bickering knitters out there. Yeah. Was it, we, we knew someone that was like heavily into recreational Quidditch. Oh, yeah. Which I picture as like just the most lovable nerds ever. And apparently it was filled with drama and people having fights with each other yeah, and just constant it's issues. With drama. Any place where you get a group of people together is going to be drama. I think that's a thing, right? People love drama. That's why reality shows are a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the fact that there's a reality show about every single industry and workplace. Yeah. 
goes to show there's drama everywhere. But it just, I hope um, Nyla's blog kind of highlights why we have created this Shikandi Women Empowerment Program, because we want to give women a safe space to talk about conservation together in a world where they feel so alienated. So the other day, not the other day, last year, I was set up on a meeting with someone who's also from Indonesia and she had a similar problem to Nyla. She didn't know uh, anyone who could talk to her about conservation. She wanted to start up a conservation initiative, but she didn't, she couldn't even talk to people about it. She couldn't even talk to her friends and family because they just wouldn't understand. They're like, why are you caring about this when you have to get married and have all these <laughs> wifely duties? So I ended up um, introducing her to Nyla and then Nyla messaged me the other day and she was like, thank you for introducing me. Like, it's so amazing to finally have someone that's as passionate as me and we can talk to. And that's so important because Nyla is a, conver a conversation, a conservationist. And for all her time in conservation, she hasn't been able to have these conversations and safe relationships with anyone, despite being in the industry, mm. which is really crazy. So last year, our fellowship took four women to book at Lawang and each of them had created their own uh, conservation initiative and they had no formal training or anything they just were trying to do this off their own volition so Nyla took them to this place called book at Lawang and gave them the skills to incorporate business into the um, conservation venture showed them the forest and taught taught them a little bit more about the relationships between the trees and um local law and then talking about as well like women and how they don't have as much space and how to take up space and how to like how to not back down and really fight for what you want and having a community that's established for when it gets too exhausting now these four women have each other so if they have any questions if they have any like they want to complain about something they have each other to talk to <laughs> um so Last year, we were only able to raise enough to send four people, four girls and Nyla with all their like food, accommodation, everything paid for. But also we got a sponsorship from Kathmandu to give them some field gear as well. So like um, hats, drink bottles, like field pants, long shirts, mosquito nets, that kind of stuff. So uh, with the Patreon donations, from last year we had another we had some other projects as well so we had to divide the money and we could only send four but i'd love to send more than four girls this year so if you would like to donate to our women empowerment project please head over to our patreon page and you can donate for as little as a dollar a month doesn't take much but it really really helps out these women yeah <laughs> yeah, that's all you have to say. I zoned out when you went on your little marketing spiel about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've heard it a few times, sorry. I just, like, I, I don't talk about this enough, I don't think. And I just thought that Nylon's blog is the perfect way to say, like, why this fellowship is important. Like, I can't mention this blog and then be like, okay, now nothing's yeah. been done. It is, it is actually a really long blog and she does get into multiple issues and it's not just the stereotype she faces. Yeah, this is just one section of her blog. So yeah. if you want to read a little bit more about Nyla's life, you can check out the rest of it. And you might notice it's the second, I think it's the second blog on the website or the third. And that's because she did her original submission, but because of the social politics, it had to be taken down because it would put my job and also her job in jeopardy. So 
this is a uh, like a sequel blog it's like a, a renewed blog so it does get a bit confusing in the middle where she describes her path through different NGOs yeah. and the trouble she had at each, but she has to refer to all of them as a NGO. Yeah. So it's actually hard to like follow along reading what, yeah. what exactly was going so, on. So um, she did say things more explicitly the first time, but unfortunately it was a bit risky uh, due to all the social politics. So I think Nyla's blog has somewhat got lost along the lines because it was really popular in the beginning, but then it had to be taken down and privated. And then now it got re like we replaced it with this new blog, but because it was back at the start of Lonely Conservationist, I don't think it got the shining moment that it deserved. Yeah. So yeah, go have a read of Nyla's blog if you want to learn more about what it's like to be a woman battling stereotypes in Indonesia. And the weird world of Sumatran orangutan politics, <laughs> charity politics. Yeah. Uh, it is. I think each organization like has things to say about the other organizations mm-hmm. and I think they would, they would all recognize that like none of them are doing things perfectly. Yeah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them might say they're perfect. But um well she mentions like oh the obvious answer then is oh just make your own where you can do everything the way you think it should be yeah. done. But like, you know, that's just adding to the problem of there being multiple yeah organizations trying to achieve the same thing or slightly differently well maybe that's how it will happen maybe there was one that was trying to save the orangutans and it was doing things like not in a way that other people agreed with so they're like oh i'm gonna save the orangutans but i'm gonna do it in my way and it's gonna be better and then there's a third person that doesn't believe in any of their ways and it's like i'm gonna start a new organization both of these idiots (laughs) i'm gonna do it my own way and now (laughs) yeah so I don't know how it stems or what the origin stories of them are like, but um, yeah, it's just challenging because I think people from the outside are like... Yeah, and then you're just some outsider yeah. and you come in and you're like, oh yeah, I help orangutans when you just stepped into this, <laughs> this web, web of chaos. Yeah, so I, like it must be interesting because when you're an outsider, I just hear people being like, oh my God, you sent me the ratings. It's so amazing. And it's like, oh no, it's so exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it's... um not what people expect and i think that's the whole point of lonely conservationists is to talk about what's actually happening so that like everyday people can kind of understand that it's not as cookie cutter perfect as uh organizations ngos yeah. make it out to be i think it's very it's very good but you can understand organizations seeing this as bad publicity mm-hmm. that might like lower donations yeah and grants yeah well I think because like they're all doing really great work yeah. and they deserve and need money, but like you can understand people are like oh they're not absolute angels they are human beings with flaws <laughs> oh I'm not going to give them money then yeah well I'm not going to go into it this stuff <laughs> sometimes you're like why are they getting money but like <laughs> this is what I didn't say that in direct relation to any NGO in particular but some stories I've heard it's like some people were doing more detriment than good. And you think like, oh, some people might be paying money to like kill species accidentally. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I won't go into this. Is not like tabloid magazine podcast, but <laughs> come have a chat if you want to get into the industry. And or like talk to Nyla as well because she's, she's she she knows the downside. She knows, but she's also really busy, and I think a lot of people try and get in contact with her. So I think be mindful of Nyla's. Uh, commitments um she might be out in the forest with no reception but she's for weeks. she's teaching at the moment but as well if you look on her instagram 
she's teaching, but she also like when it was flooding, there's huge floods in Indonesia. She was rallying food and distributing food and helping people throughout all the time there was floods. In the start of COVID, she was out helping people on the streets. Nyla is constantly doing things for other people. Yet this is another stereotype she faces. A lot of people think that she's only doing it to show other people up. And this <laughs> this really reminds me of this. I saw an article the other day. <laughs> this is so dumb. You know how you see those dumb Google articles, but you just click it just because. Yeah. So there was this woman who packed like a really healthy, nice lunch for his for her son, and it was like little cheese cubes and dill pickles because he's always so hungry as a grown boy in mm. school. But she doesn't want to give him packaged food, so she gives him like a lot of like cheese and crackers and tomato, like. I don't know, like kind of like a cheese board, but you know, um, in a what are they called? Lunchbox. Um, so he's because he ever had so much food, he started sharing it at lunch and stuff with his friends. And he's like, Oh, yeah, you can have a pickle, yeah, you can have a slice of cheese. Yeah, then she came to pick her son up from school, the mum, and the another mum were like, Oh are you so-and-so's mum? She's like, yeah. How dare you? How dare you think you're better than all the other mums and that you are going to pack your son this lunch that will show all of us up and rub our faces in it that you can afford this food. And She took offence to the quality yeah. of this other Like, not all mums can do this. Like, we can't afford all this nice food. And she's like, look, I just want to... Oh, no, the other mum was like... Um, just chuck in a packet of chips or something, you know, mum's like, I, I want to feed my children healthy, nourishing food and I'm not a bad mum for not giving, I'm not going to give them a packet of chips just because it will make you feel better. Is this a real conversation? It sounds so bizarre. Yeah, I know, it's so bizarre, but this is exactly what happens to Nyla. She's helping the people in the flood, she's helping the people in COVID, she's helping, she helps the street cats and she puts foods out, food out for them. She's always helping people. And she gets this stereotype that she's just doing it for clout or doing it to impress the like um, the Westerners that are following her on Instagram to get more money or something. Like she's mm. always being judged for doing good things when she's just inherently a, a really good person that is just trying her best to make a positive mark on the world. And that is when stereotypes are really damaging because she she now is like suffering with mental health issues because she has been pushed to her limits through her conservation journey and and just battling putting blood sweat and tears into being the best into doing what she thinks will make the planet better but she keeps having to battle people and battle the perceptions of her from her family from her culture from her job and it's just exhausting and nobody needs that so what can we do to help people battling stereotypes in conservation take it away I mean, you, you want yeah, me to solve I, this problem? I want you to solve this problem. What would you do to help Maria? What would you do to help Nyla? What uh, change? Well, I mean, the world can change and be a better place for him. Yeah, but what if you're the just, real solution? I if, guess the only other thing you can do is like take take the lead. Mm-hmm. So instead of Maria saying I like turtles, like get ahead of the assumptions and you know explain I've done this with turtles. You know I've studied them for this. I do research on this forum, and people will not assume that they're a Vesco, Vesco. Insta- Instagram. I don't know. Girl. They might. They might. Yeah, but like they're an idiot if they do. This. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I heard the other day, and I don't know if there's any truth to it. Was like if somebody calls me short, 
I won't pay any attention. I'll laugh in their face because I'm six foot. And But if somebody says, oh, Jesse, you're so sloppy with your work, and I take it to heart, it must mean that I am kind of sloppy to, uh, at my work or that I, I have that perception of myself because I wouldn't give it the time of day unless it was true. Like, kind of yeah. like the, them calling me short thing. So I don't know how much we get defensive over these stereotypes because we are so afraid that we are just fitting in with them and that we get so defensive because it, it like there's a possibility that like we could be falling into that or if it's like we just are so exhausted of having to defend ourselves all the time like we know i know i'm not sure i, re- I reckon it's the latter like and people are just they hear it way too much yeah like if enough people call me short and I'm just, I will slap you over the face. <laughs> it's like, clearly that is not well, That's what I mean. You're not bothered being called a short ass. Yeah. Because no one calls you that because you're tall. Yeah. So you don't get it. So it, once in your lifetime, someone will be like, oh, Jesse, yeah, she's a short ass. You just, you will not take it seriously. And like you said, it won't yeah. affect you. But, you know, if there's a st- negative stereotype, as untrue as it is, but if you hear it a lot, it mm. will freaking would grind you down actually this is an example when i went to madagascar basically everyone there was english and they were saying that i said everything wrong because i say (laughs) i say data i don't say data and i say yogurt i don't say yogurt (laughs) i say like australian english especially like water bottle (laughs) with the t's and d's and they would pay me out about it so much but then when i and i was convinced that i was talking wrong like I basically for like months and months they were paying me out about the way I spoke and I was like am I speaking wrong have I learned the English language wrong my whole life but then Tristan my friend who's from Canberra rocks up in Madagascar and he speaks like me and I was like thank god (laughs) like I am not speaking wrong it is just the Australian way of speaking but it's kind of like the short thing well, like, I spoke how I was brought up to speak in Australia and a bunch of English people were telling me I was speaking wrong. And I almost believed it because they told me so many From times. From their point of view, you were speaking <laughs> wrong, though. It was so bad because I would get on Skype to my family and they would pay me out for sounding too English and yeah. the English people would pay me out for sounding too Australian because I, like, adopted some English mannerisms from the bullying or something. I don't know. <laughs> you couldn't win with anyone, then. Yeah. So, um, I think... The main thing is, if you are in Maria's life, if you're in Nyla's life, like if you have someone that is battling these stereotypes, I think the main thing to do is not accuse anyone of falling into a stereotype. Like if you know Visco girls exist and someone at a dinner party is like, oh, I love sea turtles, know that you could be really harming someone or like causing offense by even joking about it. And I don't... I don't want to say like, oh, we're too sensitive, we can't joke anymore. But just say that's the fifth time of the day that somebody's heard something or like they've heard it three times that week and it's starting to like actually make them concerned about whether they have, like they're really impacting sea turtle conservation or if it's just for show. Yeah. Like I think we need to start thinking about how we speak to conservationists. Going back to the first episode of the last season of the podcast where it's like, how do we talk to conservationists? And there's a lot of things I say in that episode that people have just said to me over and over again that I just want to punch them in the face for. <laughs> because, like, for them, it's just an offhand comment. But for me, it's something that, like, makes me really psychoanalyze my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I'm out birding, 
and there's a kookaburra and I'm trying to take a photo of it and then some old man walks up to me and is like, ah, he's laughing at you and then it scares it off. Like, did you really need to, like, if you see that I'm trying to take a photo of a bird and you know that birds fly away, <laughs> did you really need to ruin my concentration and scare the bird with your quip and your weird comment? Is that really worth it? Rather And like ruining my whole shot. Like, I think to, to that guy, it was nothing, right? There's kookaburras everywhere. Didn't think twice. He was yeah. just being a funny old man in inverted commas. He thought he was adding some... Some humor to the day. Yeah. But he ruined my life. (laughs) (laughs) And like, this is just going to be a rant about birds. But the same thing (laughs) happened when I had been trying to see, I had been trying to take a photo of a mistletoe bird for years. And I finally got one lined up in the shot. And this woman yells at me, Oi, there's snakes in there. Get out. Like, did you know there's snakes? And of course, I've been waiting years to get this shot. I finally had it lined up. I didn't even flinch. I didn't care. She was yelling at me. Then finally, I couldn't ignore her. She kept yelling. And I turned around. I was like, yes, I'm an ecologist. I know there's wildlife in in the wild. You're from (laughs) Australia. I'm aware the snakes exist. Yeah. And then by the time I turned around, it was gone. And I felt like punching her again because (laughs) I had been waiting years to get that shot. And it was in the frame and she scared it off and she ruined everything. Like, that's what the stereotypes are like. Like, you think you're just helping someone or making a joke or, like, just saying something that you haven't even really thought of. Or this woman obviously had good intentions. She didn't want me to get bitten by a snake. But you're not considering... The I don't co- know if she was making it a stereotypical judgment about you. She was legitimately telling you about snakes. But you're not... Like you don't consider that I was an I could be an ecologist. Like I have a, a wildlife. I have a camera. I'm looking at wildlife. I obviously know about birds, which means like hopefully I know about snakes. <laughs> but like maybe that's the same with like Maria. It's like you're by calling her a visco girl, you're instantly undermining her knowledge and and judgment of the environment, or like um, instantly undermining her expertise. So it's just something to think about when you make weird quips as a person it just seriously it can ruin a day (laughs) and then like my examples are not really about stereotypes but i just kind of want to purvey how like sometimes you might think you're making a harmless comment and it like is very damaging to the other person (laughs) okay but i think also like if we are in conservation people who are fortunate enough to have management positions or a bit higher up setting a good culture is really important to make people like Nyla feel welcome and loved in an organization. If your organization is very egocentric and political, how is that making the baseline employees feel? Because I know a lot of employees have left organizations like that because of the way they've been treated. Mm-hmm. And I know there's nothing like personally we can do about this cultural stereotypes of Indonesia and many other countries. But there is definitely something individuals can do about the culture within organizations. And this is not just in Indonesia, like anywhere in the world. Because you can speak for how culture has changed your work ethic recently. Can I? Well, Todd, everyone knows on this podcast that like Todd used to have a job where we used to say like the people were not really that switched on and <laughs> like socially minded. And I don't know, they're a bit conservative. Um, but now Todd's in a job where since the culture has changed and it's a much better environment, he's like he's at work before everyone else when he used to be the last person to work. He's like, <laughs> I wake up with purpose. Yeah, now. he wakes up with purpose. He enjoys the work that he's doing. Like culture in the workplace can have such a huge impact on the quality of work and the happiness of your staff. 
yeah it is really hard to make like actively make it better though well because it's such such little things add up to it your work at the moment is so value orientated like did you read the value statement did you watch our our video on the values and then todd notices as he continues to work there the things that, that the company does strictly adhere to the values and always come back to the values of the workplace yeah so that's so important and that's what i try to do at lonely conservationists as well is every time i do something i'm like what value is this adhering to like what what mission what like what do i want lonely conservationists to be and to achieve and to stand for and does does each individual task that i do like have some relation to these values that's an easy thing to do well it's not it's actually like it's easy to get carried away with things but like taking the time and effort to tie it back to values is something tangible you can do yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) we noticed also in the podcast a lot of the time todd will say yeah then i'll say yeah 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 Yeah. and then the conversation is dead (laughs) (laughs) because he acknowledges that we can't just nod at each other or use nonverbal language so we just say yeah a lot so if that's bothered you or now you are aware of it well, and now it, it's going and to. it continues to bother you then just know it's bothering us as well <laughs> <laughs> so stop putting square conservationists into square holes and um stereotyping them and labeling them because everyone is so diverse so unique and i think the more we celebrate and highlight these unique uh, qualities about us the better our lives are going to be the better the industry is going to be so to check out some really diverse and incredible conservationists head over to lonelyconservationist.com to join us on instagram go to at lonelyconservationist and at lonelyconserve on twitter What's that? You want to support the Shrikandi Women Empowerment Fellowship? Head over to patreon.com slash lonelyconservationist to support the project and make opportunities for more women in North Sumatra this year. And then, of course, there's the book. Have you read it yet? Let me know if you have by sharing a review on Goodreads. But yeah, uh, that's it for today, and I'll see you next week. Bye!